0: 10th, 2016. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Polk Runyon, and tonight we have guests, Lady Joe Carson of Fairfaria and Lady Anne Finnan of the Roebuck, and we'll have a discussion on fairy magic. And we will recall the classics in this field, such as The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries, Evans Wentz, 1919, The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer, 1590, and, more recently, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell by Susanna Clark, and that's 2004. Now, Lady Joe, Joe Carson will uh, mention some other recent books in the field, including one she is working on now involving Fred Adams' extrapolations from Robert Graves' Celtic Tree Alphabet from The White Goddess, 1946. Now, this book should be a veritable Kabbalah of fairyland. And Lady Anne Finnan will mention the Roebuck's connection to Celtic fairy lore. and uh, And then I'll dive into the recent The Book of Oberon, 2015, a translation of an Elizabethan 16th century magical compendium mixing Solomonic and magic and fairy lore, in a compendium similar to the Lamegaton, and it includes some Lamegaton material. So, let's all spend an hour under the hill with the changelings and the little people, and uh, remembering what the old cunning man said, I, you can see them if they want you to. And he also asked, What's your name? What's your quest? What's your favorite color? Remember that? Okay. Uh and uh we got that uh, who uh who 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 am I who am I speaking with right now? Who's oh. here's Joe Carton? And. Oh Lady Joe. Lady Joe, good good to have you on. Uh and and uh, uh is, is Anne is, is Anne she also is. on? Yes, Oh good. Yes, she good. Is.
1: Both both
0: both both my gracious ladies are, are, are in attendance. That's wonderful. Uh now uh what I'd like to do first is uh, as we said in the abstract, I'd like to mention some of the some of the source material that we're on this that we're, that that we're all we're all familiar with, and this uh um you know, fair state The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries that Evans once—he's the same uh, anthropologist who put together the the Tibetan Book of the Dead, you know, and the the Oxford Tibetan series. Uh, The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries is really wonderful, and I know we all have it. And and I remember at the Soma Conference we had uh, two years ago, we had a. Uh, the fellow giving a talk on fairy magic and and, uh, and I mentioned that and after he got done with his talk. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. He said we all we all cut our teeth on that one. And uh that's uh so that that's one that we all uh, we all should have in our library on the on the fairy magic uh thing. And uh and the Jonathan Strange and Mr Norell, and which we've all uh which which I know that that, that uh, we we here have read and, uh, and also an excellent film too that the British made on that. By uh, that's uh, the novel, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, by Susanna Clarke. And I want to mention something on that. I thought, as many people have when they read that book, that that she got her Raven King. You know, the the the, the fairy magician who was in the other in the other dimension, uh, the Raven King. I, I thought she got that perhaps from some some folklore base, but apparently she made that up herself. That's her own creation, and that's a marvelous creation, too, by the way. And uh, um, But also, too, uh, we mentioned that, that uh, Joe, and we want you to talk about this, this, this book that you're doing on Fred, on Fred Adams' uh, extrapolations from Robert Graves' Celtic Tree Alphabet from The White Goddess. And, of course, we also... We should remember that the White Goddess is another source book on fairy magic, uh, obviously, and that's 1946. That's Robert Graves. So, uh, uh, Lady Jo, you want to you want to tell us about some of the other books in this in this field that, that, that you know about that that you might want to talk about a little bit and, and possibly recommend?
2: Yeah, um, there is a really interesting book that lately I've been involved with a kind of a. Fairy faith reading uh, group. We're reading a particular book together. It's an online group called um, Guinevere and the Round Table. It's by uh, Wendy Berg. And the general thesis is that the Round Table was actually a secret initiatory system known to the fairy folk and taught to the knights by Guinevere, who was actually fairy herself. And the reason behind doing that was that um, fairy, and as a representative of fairy, Guinevere knew this and humans would all do better if they were in alignment with each other in harmony. Um, And this was really integrated in this book with the story of um, Joseph of Arimathea and his journey from the Holy Land with the Grail. And it turned out that the knights who were with him or the people who were with him um, became divided into two groups, those who could see the Grail and um, benefit from it and then those who couldn't because it was on kind of a higher level of vibration. They couldn't quite see it. And um that those people became the first knights and of uh, the grail. Um and in the book, um, Berg actually gives the reader um training on how to actually see on a higher vibrational level. And the point is that Fairy it coexists with us here in this world but that it's on a slightly faster or higher vibrational level. And by training ourselves, starting with the different colors of the rainbow, we can actually attune our own vision so that we can see something that we couldn't really see before, which is the world of fairy. Um, and then she goes through this these trainings and gets towards the end to um, where you go to the higher level colors, um, like indigo, and then you're going out away from just the earthly realm, going up into the actual round table, which turns out to be a set of circumpolar um, constellations. And so you're looking up towards the North Star at these constellations to circle it. And each constellation has its own initiation. You go there in kind of a trance journey. So that's an interesting book, and I've I've come to have quite a bit of respect for it. I'd like to recommend that one. Um, That's quite a bit of information, but I have about three other books that I'd love to talk about if you want to take the time for it.
0: Yeah, well, 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 this is what we we want to we want to cover. We want to kind of cover the field for,
2: for okay. uh,
0: you know, yeah. So what 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 other ones do you recommend? And, and would you okay. uh, Well, the, yeah, the, you
2: know, I want to just recommend in general the the works. That, and there's over 25 works by Robert J Stewart. Um, he writes books and teaches workshop and fairy tradition. He wound up uh, um, including a lot of trance work. He talks about going through the moon pool to go to these. Fairy realms, including these magical fairy cities, um one person that I believe well a couple people that studied with him or at least his works um included Orion Foxwood, who's become very popular. He's noted mostly as a root worker but um and that kind of like southern shamanic tradition, but um um he also is someone who writes about the fairy fearship tradition and um and then uh kisma um Stepanich, is a gal who's written a couple of books. I think she wrote, let's see, Fairy Wicca and then um which is subtitled Syrian Magic A Book of Shadows and Light, um, which includes a lot of things that you might find in sort of a, a Wicca book except with a very fairy twist. And and it's not artificial, it seems really genuine. Um and I, I think her work is good too. She also created a Fairy Wicca, uh which is a series of tarot cards with beautiful, beautiful illustrations, I must say. Um, and she relates these um, different groups of cards that she has, which don't always follow the traditional tarot attributions, um, to various aspects of fairy, especially these um, cities, um, these fairy cities, which are traditionally kind of on an etheric level, but related to Ireland, called Murius, um, Galius, Gorius, and Indius. Um, uh, she, doesn't so those...
0: mention, she doesn't mention the the the, the, the second city of Yeas in and, 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 oh, Brittany, does she?
2: You know, I don't remember her mentioning that. Um, I, I, it's been quite a while since I've read the book, so she might include something else beyond what I recall. You know, there was another city in addition to those four that was in the center, too, and I don't recall the name of it just now. Right. Um, yeah. Now, I want to also mention there's a, just because it's fascinating to know these things, there's one other, um, and I'm not necessarily recommending this particular book, but it's just kind of interesting. There's a new book, relatively new book out called um Witchcraft in America, I think it's called, and um this one um is kind of an overview type book, Oh Witches in America by Alex Marr. And um she um among other things uh went into the world of fairies spelled F E R I and that world is a, a world of fairy face that was pretty much um brought to the world's attention or maybe brought to the world completely not completely known, by Victor Anderson. Um, his followers are very famous, including Starhawk and Francesca degrandis, who was in my film um, Dancing with Gaia, a uh, wonderful speaker. Um, Whidian, you know, had, this whole tradition had a lot of influence on the Church of All Worlds. And within her book, um, which is in America, she does describe something which I'm pretty sure is supposed to be like one of their, you know, secrets, but it's in a book now, so I'm gonna mention it. Um, apparently the secret names of the divinities are imparted as part of this um initiation that they receive. Um, the reasons that the the um or the the binding things that sort of seem to bind that tradition together is that they believe in personal transformation and sort of a, a fluid version of sexuality. Um they sort of have a, a kind of an ecstatic approach, shall we say, to spirituality. Um so that's an interesting book that you know goes into those aspects of fairy. Um, um, I think there's also a lot of information available online, but these are you know kind of some notable books that I've run into in my search yeah. and journey. Yeah, you know, I I
0: I think uh, when I want to mention this, we talk about the, the sex between uh, between fairies and, and 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 regular human people, uh, and this this had an had influence. This influenced the Hermetic tradition in in uh, the realization of the elementals in, in European Hermeticism, and in Rosicrucianism. And and, uh, and and frankly, you know, it's it's, it's it, it, it's obvious when you read the Comte de Gabelly and 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 uh, and you and you read the the stories about the about the the hidden land of Magonia, and you you know you just know that the that the, the Celtic fairy tradition is is behind this even though it's it's supposedly hermetic and and, and the elementals you know the silks and the and the sylphs are very fairy-like, and and, uh, and and the gnomes, and the and the salamanders, and the you know, and the. Uh uh, let's see. Now we got we got the, the salamanders in the fire. We have the gnomes in the earth, and we have the uh, the selfs in the uh, in the air, and the undines, of course, are the mermaids in the in the water, and uh, and all of these all of these kind of derive from fairy traditions, and and they enter into hermetic into hermetic tradition in that respect. Um, and uh, uh Lady Anne, uh what would you like to add to this in the way of uh of, uh, of books that you would recommend or, or uh uh especially those that might be connected to the roebuck tradition
1: well the uh just listening to to the um the the conversation about uh the the sexuality sacred sexuality between humans and and the fairy folk. Uh, we were talking last week, I believe, about um the uh uh the movie Secret of Rowan Inish, which uh uh it was not it was a British film and it and it didn't have have a, a big uh, um, uh distribution here, but basically it was the idea that uh, in many celtic countries and not just celtic countries and norse countries and, and uh uh pagan faiths of of all sorts uh the idea that the um the the shamans and the magicians and the the medicine folk and the the cunning folk and and the the people with the sight who were able to to see uh visions and things were uh uh these people were the result of of fairy human matings, and that there were children that were born to to these matings mm-hmm. and and there was a bloodline that um uh that came down through the uh through the generations of of people who had magical powers and who were able to to see uh things that ordinary mortals couldn't see and and who had had special relations with uh the the nature spirits and the unseen ones and 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 that sort of thing and you had a lot of of celtic stories which were of course uh uh edited heavily by the church but you can see it where where the the druids and the the kings and and the uh uh the heroes of of celtic ireland and, and scotland were were in some way of this bloodline that originally they were uh human mortals who uh mated with uh the 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 unseen ones, the, the elders, the elder gods, the uh the fairies, the whatever they were called in, in that particular culture. And uh and their children uh had uh, special uh, special powers you saw this in 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 uh, the book of Enoch where the mm-hmm. um uh where the uh uh Tubal-Kain and and cain and Niama and 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 that uh, bloodline of magicians and and workers in in metal and and uh uh musicians and and uh, Niama was their sister and she was the 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 one who taught humans uh divination and that kind of thing. These yeah, were all that, yeah, yeah, it's interesting it that yeah, it's interesting kind thing. of thing, where, where you yeah, had yeah. a a human uh uh god, angel, fairy, you know, call it what you will, a uh, a a non-human a supernatural being uh Mating and and that it, it spawned a a bloodline of people that had special powers. So this isn't just Celtic. This is this is all over the world.
0: Um, well, you know, but, well, 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 on this bloodline thing, I wanna I wanna mention that uh, that uh, um, um, uh, Shakespeare had in in the Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, he has uh, Oberon and Titania the, the, the king and the queen of the fairies and they're having a squabble and that's upsetting nature and everything else. And uh um uh interestingly enough uh Shakespeare sets the uh, he sets the Midsummer Night's dream in Greece and the reason for that is is that there is or at least as far as he as his research indicated there was a Greek connection uh to, to Oberon uh and uh it, it, but uh that Greek connection um unfortunately that Greek connection apparently uh when it gets to Europe it, it, it gets into the Merovingian uh, line uh with Operon. So unfortunately uh we're back into the same situation uh, you know that we that we had with the uh with the Holy Grail, you know, with the uh trying to figure out whether it's Joseph of Arimathea or whether it's Mary Magdalene in France or Joseph of Arimathea in, in uh in uh in Gloucester or in uh, you know in Um uh, and so, you know, if we were to conjure Oberon, uh as as uh they try to do here on the Book of Oberon, and he shows up as a three year old kid according to the Book of Oberon Uh and, and of course so we got this little three year old kid so we, we, we bring him up and and uh you know and and, and uh a little kid and and we said, Well Oberon are you the are you the king of the British fairies? and and he says No no, I am the king of the French fairies, you stupid English person. You you know, get off my toe go away <laughs> they were right back to the same
1: situation you know <laughs> uh, and um that uh well, I, that, I think that, that if you took if you yeah. took Oberon and and you uh you uh uh changed his name a bit you might he he might end up being kind of a Dionysus figure you know a a uh a rex Nemorensis, a king of the woods where he was a, yeah. a nature uh a nature god who uh was um uh was someone who uh uh was the uh kind of a of a, a guardian of of the woods and spirits he he was a uh, basically a uh uh, uh a consort of the uh of diana he was the um the sacred king that becomes her consort and and her son. I mean, the the whole idea of of Diana being, you know, the virgin huntress. But yeah, uh, yeah. she uh, she had a consort that was the um, that was the sacred king, the, the Rex Nemorensis, the the stag headed one, who uh, well, so guarded this, her temple. In, in so uh, much of this goes back Greece.
0: to Greek mythology, you know, so much of it goes back to classical mythology, which which in turn uh permeates on into uh into uh well druidic mythology and and into into european mythology and and even into the nordic uh and along that line uh let's like get back to to lady joe with the uh, with the book on on uh, on, on on the pre alphabet uh and uh, that you know we can't we can't avoid in this discussion of of uh of the fairy tradition and the fairy magic tradition, of course, the white goddess is absolutely—you know—that that's like uh, the fairy faith in Celtic countries. It's one of these books that you just have to, you know, you have to deal with. And according <laughs> to what uh, Lady Cho has told me, that 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 uh, that actually Robert Graves gave Fred Adams permission to go ahead and expand on his tree alphabet, and and of course. Uh, uh, which is in The White Goddess, and, and, and I've seen a lot of Fred's uh, extrapolations from that, and they're fascinating, and, and Joe's working on it. Do you want to tell us about that, Lady Joe?
2: Sure. Um, let me just give you a little background. I guess I, I'm going to start with mentioning the name of my book, just because I'm going to forget it otherwise. Um, yet to be published, okay, but it's called, it's more than just a book, actually. It's, it's a um, an oracle system. The name of it is called The Green Pulse Oracle, a tool for eco-psychic insights. And um, so it is an oracle system in the sense that there's a book and then there's um, um, little markers that actually have each of these glyphs on them. He, Fred called them x hieroglyphs. That's kind of a mouthful, and so we decided to make it a little simpler <laughs> and um, not include that in the title. But the what they are is these beautiful symbols that Fred created – and each one goes with one of those tree alphabet names. So there's one for Beth, one for Luis, one for Neon, etc. cetera. Um, and they're also correlated with the tarot, the major arcana of the tarot, and with the seasons and with the trees and, you know, the zodiac. I mean, there's a million or at least many correlations. Um, and the way to really block all at once the correlations is to imagine that you're looking at a circular calendar with, spring in the east and summer in the south, like you would look at a hinge if you were looking at it from above, and uh, that the tree alphabet that calendar goes around that circle just exactly in the same order as the seasons change and as you have the attribution of everything that goes with east, such as dawn and initiation and beginning. Um, that also goes with that first letter of um, the, actually, you know, I just said that and I'm wrong. I'm sorry, it begins, for this particular calendar, it begins at midwinter and then it goes around the circle from there, right? So Beth is actually at the beginning at the north there and then it goes around the circle from there. Um, but I want to just clarify something because the tree alphabet goes way back further than Robert Graves and what Robert Graves did was make clear the calendrical aspect of it. And that's what he gave Fred permission, specific permission to use, Um the um, if you go all the way back to the OAM and some people call it Oakum, um, that's a okay. method of writing that was in use like in like from 200 to 600 AD in the Celtic countries, mostly in Ireland, somewhat Scotland and England. And it, they were writing on trees, so it may have gone back even further. And of course, the trees would be gone or the pieces of wood, but they also wrote on stones. And there's almost 300, I think, um, different of these inscriptions still left and each of their letters had the similar name, you know, the Beth, the Luis, the Neon, you know, Strafe, all these different specific names, um, which had uh, many of them were corresponding to the first name or the first letter of a tree that would go with it. Um, so the tree alphabet goes back, you know, really a long way, um, and it was written up by um, this fellow. It was in the Book of Ballymoge, which was, I think, 1300, and then this other person, and then there was the Ogigia, So um, this is Robert Flaherty. He was a historian. So these are things that go back to, um, you know, even like 1500s and like, you know, a long time ago from now, way before Robert Graves. But when Robert Graves got a hold of it, he wanted to put together this beautiful system, which he did, and he made it very clear that he thought it it would correspond with being on a calendar. And, And there was dispute about that, some call scholars are like, oh, you know, he took it too far. You know, there's no proof that ancient people did that. But I'm I'm going to just hold out that I think that really they probably did because when you have trees, the very first one that's going to leaf out each year is, in fact, the birch tree. And so there's some, and there's, like, you can find the different trees that on the calendar. They'll, they'll um, have maybe flowers or berries at the time. In other words, they have some epiphany at the time of the year that they're assigned to. And it would be a very easy way to memorize the alphabet by also relating to what's going on in the seasons, just the way that our little kids memorize the ABCs. And if, if they had something to relate them to, it would probably make it a little easier. I suspect that it was really used both ways. You know, that it was both an alphabet way of memorizing an alphabet with thinking about what order the seasons are in, and then you know, at the same time, it became a calendar system.
1: Um, I've also well, seen is, it used. Yeah. I've also seen it used as like a zodiac. Where you have the uh the wheel of the year that uh that begins in at the spring equinox and you've got uh uh you can you can use it as almost a zodiacal system. Uh very yes. very similar to um uh you know, the the uh Ptolemaic uh world view. The 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 whole idea of it being a an an analogy to the stars. That right. the 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 druids, uh, along with most ancient peoples, were were very sophisticated as far as their astronomy was concerned, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier about uh, um, about the cosmos and and the whole idea of this not just being a wheel of the year, it's the wheel of the stars, and you've got a kind of a of a Hamlet's mill idea where where you have the world tree that that uh, goes up uh and is is a center point around which the uh the cosmos itself whirls and um so you've got as above so below you've got the stars that are reflected in the um in the seasons of of the year and and these things are marked by symbols and uh uh the the ohm is is one that just kind of falls into place, you know, and you try to to, to fit it sure. to other systems. It just kind of all fits together like little pieces of a puzzle. It's very, very wonderful.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of complexity there, and certainly one can get quite deeply involved in it. Um, yeah. It, I think there's um, another thing I wanted to mention, if there's kind of some space here for me to do it, I'm, I'm only offering here. I think that um, when we talk about fairy, it's really important to remember that fairy has, like, different qualities than, like, what we emphasize is important here in our day-to-day lives on the world, and that the fairies are often, you know, depicted like playing, not you know, wonderful music and reciting poetry and dancing out in the woods and that kind of thing. And that um, and there's always, like, the fairy ring that people talk about. And I think that... Uh, that Since the fairy, since we understand fairy as always doing well when wild nature does well, that any, if we're going to talk about fairy faith, that anybody that's involved in fairy faith almost by default is either inviting the fairies into their circle or having some kind of direct relationship with the fairies. It's not, you know, just sexual or it's not just intellectual or, you know, some kind of trance work. It's like have a direct relationship with the earth as being, you know, this sort of sacred living thing. It's our environment. and. It's everything that's around us, and you're kind of invested in that. I mean, that's, I think, very central to the idea of any of these fairy-faith approaches. Um, And uh, I kind of wanted to offer, I have this tiny poem, which I just discovered in in Fred's, you know, voluminous writings, which was written in 19, or published in 1926 by the Aldine House, which is a fairy society, a precursor, Fred says, of Ferroferia. So if I if I may, I'd like to read that. It's very short. Would that be all right? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So, um, um, it's by Bernard Slay, and um, I'll just begin. Still, do they wander here, disconsolate upon this earth we spoil, with wistful eyes that peer upon the ugliness of mortal toil? Each dewdrop holds a tear from small and faithful eyes that stare aghast to see their fairy year of lovely artistry on dunghill paths. Still, they do hover near where madcap human monkeys mop and mow, and in green valleys rear their vulgar, trivial villas all a row. Only the faithful see their temple spires, and steeples still agleam, or hear the fairy voice across the sea. Their voice is calling from the hills of dreams.
0: yeah that's very good uh you know one of the things that that uh, we 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 should uh emphasize here is is the the parallel worlds uh concept to it, uh, uh of the of fairyland and 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 uh, uh you know this is usually um usually it, 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 it's kind of the idea of of uh, you go out in the moonlight and 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 uh, and, and you and you and you find them and you find them out there dancing dancing around the toadstools and that little thing. they used to call a, a ring of mushrooms a a fairy ring you know uh and and they would uh in the moonlight they they, they somehow the uh, the uh the veil between the dimensions would open and they could and they could dance uh, you know and And then there was this under the hill idea, and this uh, uh this may have had something to do with those barrel mounds that you know where they used to bury the um bury the uh the old celtic uh, uh kings and whatever uh they that that might have uh, has had some influence on 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 the the folklore tradition of the, under the hill you know the the the, the fairies and and that, that also could have some relationship between fairies and ghosts uh but the, the um uh the the other dimension in other words the the whole idea of these of these uh creatures humanoid if you will or or uh have and, and a combination of of, nat- of of nature and and, and human form um, with uh animal and, and plant and and, they, and human form uh that would exist in another dimension and connected to uh planet life and and uh geological features and everything uh very very much uh in in the realm of as i say the hermetic elementals and uh and and therefore through that analog connected to uh to hermetic magic and one of the things that uh that uh, i wanted to mention uh you know in in our discussion tonight is this book that uh, recently recently published called The Book of Oberon, uh and the recently published by Llewellyn. And what this is 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 a fascinating Elizabethan Grimoire. And it, it's uh, it, it's it's very much like the Lamegaton, it's a compendium. You know, the Lamegaton as we all know, is uh, is, is a uh, was a wizard's handbook and and uh whoever had originally put it together put put uh all the books that he wanted to use in under uh, under one you know in in one cover uh and he uh ended up with the gaatia and the Theurgia gaatia and the almadel and the art pauline and and the Ars notoria and he bound them all together because they were the books that he he wanted to use. And and it came down to us as the megaton. Well, this book of Oberon is Elizabethan, and uh, and it, it in manuscript form it came into the uh, hands of I believe the uh, heiress of the of the. Uh, the Folger, uh, the, the Folger Coffee uh, heiress, and, and so it's, it's, it's technically referred to as the Folger Manuscript, but it, but they've called it the Book of Oberon because Oberon, the fairy, the king of the fairies, is one of the main spirits that they that, that they want to uh, uh, evoke here. But um, this book is this collection of, uh, of magic that is specifically Elizabethan. It's from that period, from Shakespeare's period. And and um and i find I find this absolutely fascinating because that's the same period basically where the lamegaton comes from. And there's a there's a lot of lamegaton magic in this book. And and uh in fact they even they even have a more authentic version of the uh elemental kings from than the than is actually got into the original lamegaton. So uh, oh, there's a number of things in this book that are really fascinating. For one thing, they have a it was not particularly interest to us, they have what amounts to about a four page long consecration of a magic mirror. And and then they have uh, magic mirrors, uh, more and more magic mirror uh, uh, information, uh, including uh, magic mirror and triangle in, in two instances, and uh, so in a way, this this uh, very much uh, backs up our our particular version of uh, of uh, Solomonic Evocation. and the book is um, is uh, translated by Daniel Harms and illustrated by James R. Clark and and also Joe, Joe Peterson. Uh, he he got into it too and did, and, and did the research, some research and helped with it. Uh, it's called the Book of Oberon, and it's really uh, it's it's really fascinating. And one of the things they have in here, besides the conjuration for Oberon or Ob- Ob- Oberian, uh is that they have a a, a spiritist locus called a fairy throne. Now this this is this is really a fairy throne, and and the way they do this is they have wands. Uh, they have these hazel wands which have the names of the fairies, uh, the various fairy spirits and, and, and uh, uh, kings, queens and and, and and all, written down, inscribed on the wands, and then they set the wands up um, pointing to the quarters. So you have the wands you have uh you know have two ones pointing to the south and two ones pointing to the north and two ones pointing to the east, two ones pointing to the west, and in the center that's the fairy throne or and that's where you put this 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 very interesting looking talisman, and you'll find this on uh page three sixty one in the book um, I'll read a little bit of this here a minute um, but first. Thou dost put this into the fairy throne, provide four hazel rods of one year's growth, cut them in the day and hour of Mercury, the moon increasing, shave them white, then write upon uh, upon every one of them the seven names in the hour of Mercury. Uh, and then he gives, gives the names. And put these four wands in the four quarters, east, west, north, and south. The fairy throne, in the hour of Mercury, and put uh, the vessel in the midst of the fairy throne, repeating the seven names, and and yeah, as I say, the, the book is is, is uh, you know it's got a lot of stuff copied directly out of Agrippa and and, and out of Lamegaton and whatever. But and then a lot of original material too that that, that I haven't seen before. It's really a fascinating uh, book, and and and, uh, and um, I think I think it's one of the ceremonial magicians that, uh, that especially if you're interested in in uh, in this uh, in this analog with the fairies, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um, and uh, also too, while we're while we're on the subject, um, I like to. To mention another book um, that deals t- to some degree with this, and uh, this is a book that uh, that uh, Christie Warks gave me uh, for Yule one year. It's called *The Book of English Magic* by Philip Carr, uh, Pil- Philip Carr Gome, and uh, Richard Haygate. And this is a uh, everything you know, including uh, everything in English magic, including. Uh, yeah including Anokian and 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 uh, and, and to, to some degree fairy lore, too and uh in uh, regarding that i will uh, uh I will. Well, I think I, I don't. I don't think I, I, I don't think we need to read any of it. But but I think that this is a book that that covers. You know, that puts the whole uh, business in perspective. It it puts English magic in perspective. It puts all these things, and, and it's a beautiful book. It's beautifully illustrated. Uh, also, too, we mentioned Spencer Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. Edmund Spencer was an was an Elizabethan era poet. And what he wanted to do was to do a national and celebrate Elizabeth's uh, of ascension to the throne or celebrate her reign. He wanted to do a, a a British poem, and he wanted it to be kind of like the Aeneid for the, you know like Virgil's Aeneid for the Romans, uh, and 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 or uh, 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 the Iliad and the Odyssey. You know he, he wanted he wanted to have a. a uh, a mythological poem, and he wanted to create uh, this 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 mythological poem. So he he wrote the Fairy Queen, and the Fairy Queen was very popular, and, and uh, it first was published in 1590. And and it's it's a romance, and and it's uh, you know it has uh, the knights. Uh, Gloriana is the queen of, of Fairyland, and she is is. Uh, uh, an analog for Elizabeth, you know, it, it, this is a this is a metaphor for Elizabeth, and, uh, and and her knights go out and have these adventures, very much like Arthur's knights, and uh, they meet, yeah, they, they 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 kill dragons and they they uh, slay uh, you know uh, dragons and ogres and they do all the things that. That, that knights are supposed to do and rescue uh, rescue ladies in distress and and uh, and uh, battle with sorcerers and whatever and it, it's it's it, it, it's it's fascinating and and of course it has influenced a lot of uh, a lot of writers especially fantasy writers it's influenced writers like James Branch Cabell and and, uh, and Lord Dunsany and Clark Ashton Smith and people like that uh, it's um, but it's also uh, deals with with fairyland and and the whole fairy tradition, and uh, and uh, so we we ought to we ought to certainly realize that that the fairy queen is is very very much uh, a part of this of this tradition. Uh, I'd like to ask Ann. Um, you know, you remember some time back we discussed the send the sandusak men era?
1: Yes. Yes. The the, uh, uh, the stone yeah. that has all the carvings on it. That's right, I, and and I, I do you do you think that that has some relation to this whole tradition? It's hard to tell because uh, uh, it uh, we have no idea how old it is, and we have no idea uh, if the symbols mean what we think they mean. You know, it's very very easy to project uh what uh what you want to see on 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 old uh on old symbols but i think that this this particular tradition of uh of of fairy magic or or the the magic that comes from fairies uh is uh is probably something that was uh widespread up until the end the 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 death of Elizabeth when when uh the uh all the religious wars happened and you had you had Cromwell and his buddies uh scouring the the, the countryside and, and breaking up the stone circles because they were pagan and all this stuff. Um and uh if if it was a uh a marking stone that marked, say, the meeting place of a particular group or um you know, or had been, you know, attached to a, a, a dwelling place of some sort. Uh it's very hard to know just what that stone was for. Uh I suspect that as these stones happen that it might have been the the marking of a meeting place or uh maybe uh marked a a place of a like a house or a or a um a temple or something that is now not there anymore. So, uh that could be. Uh it's uh, uh I have a feeling that a lot of this was far more widespread than we know because so much of it had been destroyed, you know, during during the Cromwellian era and all of the the turmoil that that went on during the English Civil War and, and so much of british folklore uh was was destroyed or driven underground you know during that period of time so uh we don't know but uh if it was a a meeting place you know the the marking a meeting place of of a group or it was the burial place of someone or or whatever um yeah it it could very well be uh it would just have to depend on on how old it was and how old the the carvings were yeah and and
0: some of it's been been uh been apparently uh um added to it i think i think there uh-huh. there have been things added added to it but uh, i mentioned earlier on uh i mentioned the uh, uh the city of yeast and that's uh y s uh and this is this is an interesting uh legend it is off the coast of brittany and, and uh it it's an interesting legend which which has been used uh, by my son you know by uh like paul anderson and his wife uh, did uh did a couple of novels based on uh historical or or mytho historical novels based on on uh, uh the the kingdom of yeast uh and, and Abraham Merritt did a uh, one of his uh, one of his uh, uh fantasy stories based on this. Um uh, and what it what it was, uh according to the legend, was a city down right on the on the coast of, of Brittany where Brittany sticks out into the English Channel. Uh and uh, this city, very ancient, uh was Actually, below sea level, and and apparently, uh, you know, they had built this, they had built this this huge dike up around uh, to protect the city, and they had, and they had uh, some kind of a big uh, sluice gate, and I think that the, this is one of these tidal situations where, where they had this big this big sluice gate, and according to the legend, it's kind of a, 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 a almost a Shahrazad. Uh, uh, type uh, or bluebeard type legend where uh the evil queen has uh, uh tries to get the key from the king from her father the king uh and, and and uh um the key that he that he that he has the key to the gates that let in the that let in the tide and would flood the city and uh um and her uh her wife she 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 takes these takes on these lo- local lovers which she uh apparently you know, sort of a reverse of Saharazad, which uh as soon as she tires of them she kills them and one of them uh, apparently tries to you know before he gets killed he tries to get her to uh he, he tries to get the key from to get her to get the key from from her father and he and and then he floods the whole city and and uh, and kills her and and everybody else. And that's the end of the evil city of of Yeast and, and and its evil queen. That's one version of the legend. There are several different versions of this thing, but it it um, uh, one wonders whether how what, what the relationship to Atlantis might be, and then also too there's another version of this that seems to be off the coast of England uh at Avalon there's this, there are off the coast of of England uh there what what's the city that, that's supposed to be sunken off? Leoness that's right
1: Leoness uh,
0: um yeah it's it's off
1: of of uh, uh uh I'm just trying to remember the the uh it's it's a a point we were there actually at one point there there was a um uh it's an island and there was a castle on the on the island and you could only get to the castle at low tide because then there's uh, dry land between the uh 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 the coast and and this island but it at high tide it's an island it's it's the uh uh the road there's a there's a. Uh, uh, Sounds like Michelle. Uh, that, that, that. Yeah, uh, uh it, it's very much like that, it, and apparently there was a, a castle or a monastery or, or something on the, on this island, and uh, there's a road uh, uh, with stones on it that that actually leads to this this thing, and you can only access it when the tide is at its absolute lowest, and um, if uh, you know if if you're on the road and, and the tide comes in you get uh you get washed away um that was uh uh the apparently the according to Arthurian legend that was the uh, castle of the uh, of the dwarf king who was the the father of Guinevere um yeah. and and Arthur had to uh uh, uh storm his castle in order to to get guinevere as his queen and merlin uh knew that uh at low tide there was a road that appeared uh, a, a, a stone path that would go from the beach to to this castle and um and he uh he had arthur and his men wait until the uh the tide was at its lowest and they were able to to uh travel on on this road to um to storm the castle and, and get uh, get Guinevere as uh as as his queen. So it um so that goes back to to uh uh Joe's idea about Guinevere being being a fairy maiden who was mm-hmm. the uh uh the daughter of the the dwarf king of of this magical island and um so uh, uh that uh, and you had to have astrono- astronomical knowledge of the tides and the moon cycles in order to predict when the tide was going to be low enough so that that uh, a body of of armed men could could travel uh on on this road in order to get to the castle. Mm-hmm. Hello.
0: Hello. Yeah, when Berman did Excalibur that which no, is a beautiful film, he did uh, he did another version of that where where uh where Merlin uh creates a sort of the breath of a dragon and, and uh and Uther rides rides across and and and, and manages to uh to impersonate uh, uh a grains uh, uh um husband and and who who is who has just been killed in battle and he uh, and he uh, impregnates her and 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 gives birth to arthur that was, that was that was borman's version of it i don't know where uh, he probably had some some mythological basis for that
1: well uh, he, castle is kind of like that too it's it's uh it's out on a on a uh a, a cliff on a point on on the on a cliff and and what you have you would have to do is uh you'd have to find you'd have to find the road that leads from from the uh the shore to uh to the the castle it's I've been there it's on a on a very rocky crag um and you uh you have to uh uh kind of find your way through the mist you have to know where the road is that that leads up to that that castle. And um so uh it would be something that it would take uh a magician uh to know because you'd probably have to find just the right um it's it's like that scene in in Indiana Jones where you have where the the light just has to be exactly right so you can see the pathway that leads to the grail castle. So it would be it would probably be that sort of thing where you you'd have to wait until the sunlight was just right in order to uh to see where the road was to to uh to go up to the castle so that that same sort of
0: thing. Hi, so, and if you don't in and and, and and if you give the wrong answer you end up you end up being thrown into the gorge yeah
1: yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, uh, well, yeah. if you don't uh, get the the you don't find the right path then you end up uh, down at the uh uh down at the right. bottom of a cliff you know yeah and what's your
0: favorite color uh blue no no it isn't <laughs> <laughs> i just watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail the other night uh, I, 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 what I, 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 was full of blue? you yeah uh, that, that, that yeah that <laughs> I was thinking you know uh that 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 I, that I, that would with, with Oberon and 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 being Merovingian instead of uh instead of english that he would uh, that he he would he would also you know say that that no I am the am the king of the French fairies, <laughs> but uh anyway uh we're uh, uh we're about to the end of the hour here um uh, uh, Lady Jo, do you, you know, when, uh, you're, you're gonna, you're working on this, this book on, the, uh, on the tree alphabet. Uh, when do you think you're going to have that, uh, that ready for us?
2: Um, the goal is this summer. I can't give you anything real precise right now because we're still adding things to it. Um, I do have a first draft, but it's still a little bit fluid. So I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I'm trying to go for this summer, you know, midsummer, um. And I've got a nice, a really talented consultant working with me on it, Maka um, kind of Nightmare. She's really, really helpful. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm optimistic. I think it's going to be beautiful. I have a lot of Fred Adams' really excellent artwork in there. Not the same stuff yeah. that we've seen in the um, Celebrate Wild. Well, you do, you, you, you do have, well, 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 you do have your Celebration of
0: Wilderness book uh, available somewhere, don't you, Forrest?
2: Right. Yeah. Farfaria.org It's always available there, and if people are interested in Feriferia, they can um, get that and, you know, uh, let me look, describe for people who may not be familiar with it. I just ran across a page of kind of cool descriptions by Fred of Feriferia, so I'm going to read one. Feriferia is the path of mystery through fairyland, a pagan fellowship for the erotic celebration of all nature and for the lyrical unification of ecology, mythology, and sacraments. Feriferia. Um and um, let's see, we have four minutes before nine. I'm going to take two minutes, if I may, and just um, just say one little thing about Fair fairy, about some of the things that we do specifically that are relating to fairy. Um, we will often actually go out into the fairy ring henge and call up the fairy and invite them into our circle when we're doing our ritual. Um, we will um, go out to wilderness locations that are on specific rays from our hands, like, different specific directions, and then um, go into, like, a reverie and, you know, look visually to see if we can, you know, actually see the fairy folk or communicate with them and feel their presence. Um, and then in those same wilderness locations, we might use trance to um, visit them and call on them for guidance or inspiration. Um, and we offer a little, um, you know, like some way to honor them. You know, we can always give them something when we do that you know there has to be an exchange and then when we come back there's a, a way you can set up an ongoing relationship with fairy by when you come back to your own home circle you've taken something to your fairy you know friends you visit it and then you bring some little thing back and so when you have uh relationships with the fairy folk in all of those directions that you visited then you have your your own little fairy hinge is like the center of this great network that goes off in all directions um around you and so it's um, a lovely way to have a relationship with wild nature and with the fairy folk.
0: And, and the website again, where we
2: go? Oh, right, org. I'll spell it, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. And uh, so okay. Celebrate Wildness is, is available now, and hopefully this summer we'll have uh, this, this um, lovely new book that I'm working on, which is well, uh, The uh, Greek yeah. Folk Oracle
0: okay good and and uh um, um we we had uh we had your we did we did your your uh dear departed uh, novel last week but let's let's mention that again uh you just uh you just published a novel on on the spiritualism in the victorian era in up in san francisco kind of a romance and a thriller uh and uh that's uh, uh uh, available under Anne roebuck
1: yes that's uh, uh that's yes. my 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 nom de plume for uh uh yeah, right. romance novels and uh hopefully uh uh i'll uh, i'll be able to uh if if the publisher is is willing um i can i can get some other uh 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 popular novels out there with uh with hermetic and magical and pagan themes that uh, you know, sort of, of stealthily uh, introduce some of these concepts to uh, to a wider audience. That
0: sounds like something we ought to all look forward to, and and so uh, so. Do you want to give us a website that uh, that we can uh, uh, that we can come to to uh, for some more activities that you might want to want to share with us?
1: Okay, it's it's uh, annroebuck dot com. It's a n n e r o e b u c k dot com i'm uh uh it's still under construction but uh but there's uh, a link for for the book and uh a bio of me and uh working on a on a blog with uh, magical uh uh themes uh that uh, uh that would be suitable for a larger audience and i'm sort of trying that as an experiment to see if if uh we can get uh more people uh, interested in this sort of thing. Uh I know a lot of of the uh the books that are out there are very daunting. You know, it you have to to do a lot of reading for of, of mythology and and folklore and history and all of that. And and right. um, if we can get uh get people introduced to it uh through fiction which was what of course the unfortunate tried to do and 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 succeeded in in her time but there's so much that uh uh was there that that she couldn't write about because of being you know her time and place that uh, that maybe we can take some of those themes and and update them for a modern audience and uh we'll see if if this if this flies it's uh it's, always always an adventure
0: <laughs> that's a worthy worthy goal and we will look forward to your efforts and, and naturally support them and uh thank you both gracious ladies and, and uh next week uh next week i if i if i don't if i don't manage to to find a distinguished guest to come to come on board which i will try to do but if i if if that doesn't work out then uh well perhaps we'll uh we'll uh, uh re- return to h p lovecraft and 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 look at the case of charles dexter ward which is his most prametic effort and and uh and that ought to be interesting if if uh, uh so until next week uh thanks again uh 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 joe and then and, and, uh until next week good magic.